What's up, Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and welcome back to our new gen series. Looking back at all the pay per views from 1995, we have reached King of the Ring 1995. It was the third annual King of the Ring pay per view, um, and one which is obviously controversial in the sense that the winner isn't one that's uh, widely loved by people, um, but also a show with some very good stuff on it i'd say it's probably the weakest of the shows that we've looked at so far but in terms of our underlying themes of how storyline continuity is developed through the era um it very much does its job from that department i want to start plan just by considering the institution of king of the ring um because i was thinking about this a lot today knowing that we were going to be doing this show and obviously recently wwe have made an effort to try and um reboot it um but the problem with every time they've rebooted it lately has been it's taken place on tv over several weeks Mm -hmm. it hasn't really caught fire um they've kind of misunderstood the point of it i mean i think you've made this point a lot of times before you know with all the sort of you know getting obsessed with somebody wearing the robes every time they come to the ring after they've won the damn thing um and they've sort of missed the point of what was great about it. Because what was great about it for me was it was a a one-night tournament. I know they did some of the preliminary rounds on the TVs. But ultimately, it was a one-night tournament. The winner of it was usually a mid-carder who they perhaps foresaw some some big things for in the future. Though not always. <coughs> Sometimes it was something that was very established, like an Owen Hart. Um, and then they would you know, they would kind of uh, use this tournament to progress storylines, to give people a showcase, um, and of course they'd have the usual title matches and what have you on the show too. But it was, the reason it was the fifth of the big five was it was legitimately, you know, a, a really sort of big deal to compete in that tournament, to get far in that tournament, um, it played so well into the storyline narratives uh, of the company. I know Prime, our friends uh, from LOP, will like this. Um, it played into the sort of sporting legitimacy angle of the company at the time as well. Um, and it just it just works brilliantly. And, you know, it's not a surprise to me that the, the last sort of winner before they shelved it as a pay-per-view was Brock Lesnar. And, and you know, look what look where he went afterwards. And it's always been a bit baffling to me that they shelved it in favour of things that were, were, were nowhere near as good. And I suppose you could say that, to a degree, money in the bank fills its position today. We've talked about that before. But for me, how much would people have marked out if WWE had said we are going to have a king of the ring pay-per-view or a king of the ring special event for two hours rather than this sort of horribly drawn out um tournament on raw and smackdown which just kind of ended up with a baron corbin win anyway it's just always been a strange one to me that that this was the one they retired to to have retired it and replaced it with nothing essentially in 2003 they didn't even have 
you know, it was just, it was, I, I don't know whether, maybe it was all to do with them moving to brand exclusive paper. Oh, mind you, the, the first one was cross-brand, wasn't it? So that doesn't really play play into it. I don't know why they why they chose to stop doing it. Uh, especially, you know, I really loved the concept that they did in 2002, where it became to SummerSlam what Royal Rumble was to WrestleMania, where if you won it, you got a main event title shot. At SummerSlam, I always really liked that idea. I thought there was a lot of life in it. The fact they never carried it on is a shame. And it feels a bit like... It feels a bit like... This is almost topical. Um, They just released another Terminator film recently. Uh, And, uh, you know, a lot of fans of that franchise are sick of them releasing Terminator films because they never get it right. And every single time they do it, it kind of diminishes the, the allure and the luster of the first two. It kind of feels a bit like that with King of the Ring. You know, every time they, they I wish they'd, I, I almost wish they'd stop doing it because every time they now do it, like you say, we get this watered down version that were it to take place on pay-per-view probably would be great or a special event or whatever. One show, basically. Um, I remember when they did it with Regal, they did it on one Raw, but every match was like three minutes long because they had to, you know, they had to get it, cram it all into a single episode. Um, and, especially in the age of the network. Do you remember when they, in 2015, they did it, they did yes. a special King of the Ring uh, event and it was all very exciting. Then it turned out to be like one hour and three matches or something stupid. Uh, and then, and then Barrett won it. And then he became King Barrett and walked around with a scepter and a crown for the rest of his time. That's, you know, that's one major issue. And to be fair, there are certain talents who could probably pull that off. Owen Hart pulled it off on the brief moments. He did it at the end of King of the Ring 94. Kurt Angle pulled it off. But these are, performers with enough kind of goofy and endearing charisma to do it. You never saw Bret Hart do it. You never saw uh, Austin, Helmsley do it. Austin. You never saw Austin <laughs> do it. Indeed, absolutely. Um, had The Rock have won it in 98, he certainly wouldn't have done it. And Ken Shamrock didn't, and he did win it. Uh, Edge never did it. You know, Brock Lesnar never did it. There's a, there's a clearly identifiable running theme. Um, Baron Corbin winning it this year was depressingly inevitable from the minute they announced the the brackets. Uh, but can you imagine what they? Chad Gable obviously got yet another kind of very brief boost from his performance and the story they told with him through that tournament. But it would have meant all the more had it have happened on the platform of a pay per view or a, or a special event. People would have probably paid a bit more notice to it. it; would have stuck in the memory a bit longer. So it's a curiosity they decided to stop doing it. It's it's even more of a curiosity that they seem unable to accept the notion of a tournament just being a tournament and the name not having to translate literally into a gimmick. Uh, at the end of it, uh, you know, why not just it should just be a, a tournament called King of the Ring? It doesn't need to be all regalia and crowns and capes and scepters. Uh, and the 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 early years, these early years, 1995s is perhaps the the anomaly, I guess. It just looking strictly at King of the Ring with with Mabel, but uh, you know, certainly with Brett. Uh, it made a lot of sense because you were you were kind of uh, rehabbing him out of WrestleMania. Uh, with with Owen, it made a lot of sense because he was wanted to do what his brother did the year before. You know, Austin was a was a, a hot star on the rise to be able to see him get that platform. I mean, you know, history writes itself there, doesn't it? Um, they really got it right, uh, and Mabel was the only one of those first four who came out of first five in fact first six even um who came out of it in fact thinking about it you know billy gunn didn't do it either in 99 um so really it was it was 
really only King Mabel that they decided to do a literal thing with up until you get to Kurt Angle who pulled it off. Um, I mean, Angle did it for about a day, as I recall, like barely, barely did it at all, really. There you go. Um, So it's, it's very, it's very much a case of, of, I, I wonder how much of it is, is them thinking as I was doing literally just minutes ago, that it's, it's a more prescient thing than it really is about a wrestler end up ending up becoming a quote unquote King. And then you remember when they did King, the Celtic King Seamus yep. um, and stuff like that. Um, and so the, perhaps they're a bit shy of doing it, but these early years, you know, I think they nailed the format because even in 95 where Mabel wins it because Mabel wins it, that's what people remember. People forget the fact that essentially they kind of repeat the Bret Hart thing to a admittedly lesser extent, but they repeat the same story with Savio Vega in 95, who wrestles like three or four matches through the night, and it's his big debut show after he appeared at the end of In Your House. Uh, so that's the real takeaway of the 95 tournament, is what they did with Savio Vega rather than what they did with, with Mabel, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the thing about, mate, about the, the, the whole <coughs> thing surrounding Mabel is, you know, it's, it's Vince. You know that he likes to try his hands with a big man from time to time and just see if it can stick. Um, and I've never really, I mean, historically looking back, I don't have a massive problem with them putting this on Mabel because maybe he could have worked out in a different set of circumstances, you know, like he's somebody that obviously had a pretty long career. They repackaged him as Viscera and various other bits and pieces and, you know, through, well, quite a long time, really, when you think about how long he was around. But, you know, it's, it's I've never had a problem with it because... Why not? This is what these things are for, right? Try your hand with somebody. Maybe it will stick. Like, you know, he could have been their new Yokozuna, you know, until they try. They don't know. So I've never massively had an issue with it because clearly, you know, if you look at the, you know, the general uh, tone and tenor of the year, it's obvious that the top guys, you know, are Bret Hart, Razor Ramon, uh, you know, Diesel, um, these are Owen Hart. These are your guys, which they're building the products around. One, two, three, kids. Sure, uh, Michaels. Sure, Michaels. The Undertaker. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 like uh, this is a a guy they've taken a chance on, and historically wrestling has always done that. They did it with Diesel, and it worked out for them. Whatever people might say, um, well, it certainly works out for wrestling in general. If you if you take this into sort of mid nineteen ninety six, but it, it's. Uh, a, a funny one for me because clearly you were never going to have a great inverted commas wrestling king of the ring tournament given the, the the people they involved in it but as you say the Savio Vega story is quite engaging um and in wrestling I think sometimes you should uh do something with a big man because I don't know it, it seems to me to always um help the suspension of disbelief where you, you know now and again you just have a guy that sits on you um there's a great bit <laughs> at the at the end of the tournament where they're doing a beatdown down moa mabel of of razor and savio and then uh kid comes the ring and comes their aid and he literally kind of like keeps like kicking and punching mabel and mabel just doesn't, just doesn't move and then just kind of basically sits on him <laughs> Tremendous. Summed up. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I mean, I I can see where you come from certainly, and I think uh, th- I 
I'm not going to be a, an apologist about it. I do. I do think that King Mabel was a bad idea. Like you say, they don't know until they try. But I think what stands out when you look back on it is pretty much what you've just been saying. You know, you've got a company at this stage that is built around and leaning on the likes of Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Razor Ramon, Owen Hart, uh, British Bulldog in, in just a couple of months' time. Um, the one thing they've got all, all got in common, other than the fact that they, you know, they're obviously all great workers, is the fact that, and we've kind of talked about this thematically in terms of the aggression amping up, but the, none of them are particularly cartoonish. This is one of the, you know, this is one of the massive myths about uh, new gen that we've been at pains to try and dispel for years and years and years and people just refuse to listen it seems but um you know all the talk about new gen being full of cartoon characters is absolute pish it's nonsense because at the top of the card especially at this point june 95 you have a lot of well-rounded three-dimensional characters who are in the middle of a very uh, meaty character arcs uh, who are all very grounded and all very realistic as characters. And then suddenly in the middle, you plonk King Mabel, who is this quite literally larger-than-life uh, uh, character that you're having walking around in a not particularly great-looking prop crown, it has to be said. It looks like one of those uh, freebies you make out of cardboard in Burger King. Um, so it looks cheap, uh, and it just stands out like a sore thumb, I think, in the middle of everything else that's happening. Obviously, you've got The Undertaker there, and he's in the midst of this feud with the Million Dollar Corporation, but we all know that The Undertaker is really an exception that proves the proves the rule when it comes to his you know, fantastical character, maybe with Kane as well, of course. Um, and so I do think it was it was a bad idea, not necessarily because it was doomed to fail, but because it seems to be so at odds with... The general uh, the general wave that's occurring in the company, which as the years year goes on, and certainly by the time you get in, you know Hunter Hearst Helmsley involved, who is, you know, he's he's kind of a camp character, but his his work in the ring is very grounded. Uh, and then in '96, when you start rolling Steve Austin into it all as well, uh, you know, it's, even Savio Vega is is a pretty sort of grounded character. So uh, it just seems to be. Uh, uh, it's it's well it's exactly what we say at the top of the show. It's because they weirdly lean into or feel obligated to lean into the king gimmick, rather than just letting him be you know a warped darker version of of what he was in Men on a Mission, you know a, a product of of, of um, uh, social hardship, uh, you know turned bad so to speak. You know instead of going with something a bit grittier, they they sort of decided to go with this colourful and, and garish king gimmick that just doesn't seem to fit and i also think that they're essentially there's a sense of treading old ground with it in so much as we've had a year-long reign pretty much from yokozuna that only came to an end you know just over a year before this uh diesel is the champion he's a big dude he's in the middle of a feud with psycho sid another big dude and yet in between all of this stuff, you're flirting with Shawn Michaels at the top. You're flirting with Bret Hart at the top. You're flirting with, with Owen Hart in a prominent position. And I think that the wrestling audience had seen what they could have with that and were beginning to long for that a little bit more. And yet it seemed that Vince was very reticent to fully commit to it at this point in the company. So I think there's a, a number of reasons why King Mabel struggled. And I think they all ultimately amount to sort of being odds with the general environment and the, and the, 
the cultural zeitgeist of the moment. Yeah, and I'd, I would agree. I'd agree with that in terms of the fact that um, clearly the company at the time mostly functioned around how good the wrestling was, as we uh, as we we talked about sort of last week and the week before. And there's no doubt that perhaps one of the reasons why Diesel's title reign isn't fondly remembered is because you know there are three matches involving Psycho Sid. There's another. I mean, is it only the one match with King Mabel, or is it actually I think it two? Is. I um, think it's only the one. Just the one at SummerSlam. Um, so, and then it's it's kind of it's bull. You have to get to Bulldog before he actually Diesel really has his, uh, you know, his first kind of decent dance partner. I mean, Michael's at Mania, of course, but it, it's it's um, yeah, it's certainly the case that Diesel's early part of that reign or early middle part of that reign, he is lacking those kind of. Uh, barn burners if you like that you'd have with bret hart at the beginning and and sort of uh, bret hart at the end and then in the middle you've got quite a lot of uh quite a lot of waste opportunities i guess because you think we we talked about how it's odd that you know you never get a razor ramon um wild title match like a face v face diesel v razor ramon match at this point would have been absolute box office you'd think but although he's injured isn't he i suppose at this point razor because um, he, he walks around and tape around his ribs this whole match, and uh, Savio is his kind of uh, his client, if you like, in this uh, tournament. Um, yeah, so the, the the tournament itself, as we said, it's not necessarily the uh, the, the world's greatest wrestling lineup. Um, so the matches we have on the actual show, uh, Savio has to wrestle his qualifier on the dark match which they actually include as part of the the pay-per-view video for this so he he, he has irs uh in a decent little match before the actual official pay-per-view starts um and then you have savio v yoko which he wins by count out mostly because yoko's just too big to get back in the ring um probably the best match like of the uh quarterfinal ones is actually roadie v bob holly which is weirdly good <laughs> and then uh a know, ringing endorsement the best match of the first round is the roadie versus bob holly oh, oh actually no karma v michaels was quite good fun although as you intimated last week the uh michaels coming back as a baby face thing uh they don't really get that very right i don't think Oh, I think that's a <laughs> understatement of the century. I've always said if if people think that you know they're shoving Roman Reigns down our throat or they're shoving Seth Rollins down our throat, which seems to be the latest trend, um, it, it go back and watch what they were doing with Sean in '95 because my God, did they lay it on thick? Or even if people think that um, that Seth Rollins wasn't a natural babyface in 2016. Well, quite, yeah. Remember those days? <laughs> within within a month, he'd failed as a babyface and needed to turn heel. And, we're, and from what I've seen, I mean, I'm not watching at the minute, so I'm not really, you know, well qualified to comment, but I've seen a lot of they need to turn him heel. And you get immediately back into that territory of they need to turn him heel so we could cheer him again. And you just go, what are you banging on about? But anyway, uh, um, yeah, Sean in 95 is... is, is but I think the interesting thing is, seeing as, you've, seeing as we've hit on him, let's talk a little bit about him because I think you know one of the, this is going to become one of the predominant narratives of the rest of this 
series is is Sean's trajectory heading towards the beginning of '96 when he would challenge for the world title again. And I and I feel like I mean we'll we'll obviously get to that epic intercontinental title match with with Jeff Jarrett next week, but uh, it feels like almost from the very beginning he seems uncomfortable portraying the character they want him to portray. And I've always, when I've gone back and watched what he was doing uh, through 95 and then through his title reign, it feels like he's constantly straining against the leash. I get a palpable sense that he's sort of, he's he, as a performer, he seems to want to do what everyone else is doing, which is get more edgy, get more aggressive. And yet they, they sort of keep saying, no, no, you've got to be smiley, hug the kids, Bring Jose Lothario out with you, and and you, I think you could tell in his, in his just his like his body language, his demeanour. There's a sense of dissatisfaction with what they've got him doing. I think. Well, it, it, the promos are essentially not that different to his heel promos. Like it's it's, I, it's in '96 we start doing all that like oh you guys you're my clique and all this stuff, which is horrendous by the way. Um, but at this point, like his promo before he comes out, it, it's it's very much the promos that he was doing as, as the, uh, you know, the heartbreak kid prior to, to turning face. Um, you know, Todd Pettengill does his whole, Oh, you're embarrassing me so much by, you know, not answering my questions properly shtick. Um, but then he comes out and the narrative on commentary, uh, from Vince and Doc Hendricks is very much like, isn't he good looking? Isn't he, um you know and vince is kind of definitely on commentary pushing this whole um how dare karma cheat and all this sort of stuff so it's it's um yeah it's like i don't think michael's his own like sense of his own character changed all that much but certainly vince's sense of who his character was changed quite a lot which which obviously matters when it's about how you're presented on commentary and stuff well this is it i mean this that's i think that's probably a decent uh, decent i won't damn you with paint praise that's a good <laughs> good observation um uh, in the sense that it's probably what creates a sense of conflict and narrative in that you're sort of seeing one thing and hearing another um and uh, it's almost uh, as if th- this is probably going to sound overly critical but the, the the sense that you get then is it's almost like sean doesn't know how to be what they want him to be uh because yeah, what is got to be one of two things? Either he doesn't want to be, or he doesn't know how to be. Because uh, we well, knew how to be because he was in the Rockers, wasn't he? And he was hand slapping baby face. Yeah, that but it's, I mean, it's it's a slightly. Di- I think it's a slightly different thing when you when you're outside of that. Because at this point, he's telling a story. His arc is telling a story. You know, he's come back. Uh, one of the big things through sort of the autumn, if you watch the TVs, uh, is they they very deliberately lean into this idea of him. I said, similarly to what they did with Seth in 2017, actually, interestingly enough, um, which is him making up for the mistakes of what he'd done the year before, like winning back the Intercontinental title and, uh, you know, chasing after a rematch with Diesel. At one point, SummerSlam's a weird one in 95 because they basically just completely redesigned the card at the last minute, but initially he's booked to go against Sid for the IC title, and the way they promote that is... You know, it's 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 to to make up for the mistake he made at, at WrestleMania by having him in his corner and letting him betray him and stuff. So they they lean into a, a um, and I, I hate to use the word because WWE overuse it so much. They lean into a redemption arc with him. Uh, so so it's all telling a 
it's all telling a story for him at, at this point. Um, again, one of the brilliant things about Nugent is there's always a sense of a, of a, of a larger picture in play. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think um, what they what they wanted to do with Michaels in a way is is very interesting um, because he wanted to be obviously wanted to be a top guy. That's that much is obvious. And I think you know there's a lot of stuff that Brett says in his book about how you know the writing was on the wall. You know he could tell that that Sean was you know I mean there's a lot of Brett paranoia in this but you could tell that Sean was going to get a big push and all the rest of it um and on the other hand you get all those stories of Vince always being convinced that Sean could never be a baby face don't talk to me about that guy about being a baby face never again and then like all things Vince comes around to it and then imagines it was his own idea all along um imagine <laughs> but uh that I, seems I, to be the case with American football but the thing with with Michaels is that obviously his biggest strength was that he could wrestle absolutely brilliant matches i mean as we'll see next week with uh with jarrett as we saw with diesel and wrestlemania 11 and uh, you know as you were saying earlier on in the time where we are that was always likely to be a factor that helped keep him um on the mind of the people that were making the decisions and the fact they hasn't done brett v sean since like 92 meant that it was going to be an era-defining match. Um, and the way they got there was a bit cheesy. And even the the pre-WrestleMania 12 vignettes of Michaels training in empty stadiums and stuff were just, like, unbelievably, you know, silly. Uh, yeah, obviously, you can't argue with the finished product. Um, and it's a bit like, how much do you... I don't know criticize the handling of Michaels' babyface character and how do you balance that with how good the in-ring work was? It's 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 that funny thing, isn't it? It's like there's... Because they never really had with Michaels a time except for that first period as a heel. I'm not explaining this very well, but his first experience as a heel from like the moment he throws Marty through the window uh, until you know, I guess the end of 94, like for me, that's the time when the in-ring Michaels and the character Michaels were absolutely at their, their best together as a combination. And after that, I feel like there was always one of the two things that was a bit out. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a very odd thing. I mean, the only, the only, it's, it, and it's very difficult to describe because so much of it is a feeling. Uh, uh, but I think if, if people do go back and watch it with a with a level head, it would be difficult to deny that there is some kind of something anachronistic about the way he's being presented. Uh, and uh, maybe it's just that at the time he just wasn't a very likable guy. You know, and and by all rights, he's got a record saying the same thing himself. You know, and that can often show through on on TV. Um, I mean, it does. I mean, the backstage promo that he cuts, there's a whole bit where Pettengill's talking and he's making weird faces and like mm. you know, kissing his biceps and basically doing his his 1992 heartbreak kid when he was first with Sherry shtick, but as a face. 
Uh, and it translates into the matches a lot of the time in small ways. There's there's a lot of uh, still a lot of showboat in, and still you get a sense that he's still wrestling uh, in essentially the same way as well. Uh, you know, there's still. I mean, when we'll see it in your house too with the lumberjacks main event. There's there's a sense of uh, you know put the spotlight on me. There's ultimately no. You know, you can't argue with the ring product that he that he's able to bring, uh, and I guess that's probably the most important thing. Not the only important thing, but perhaps it's the most important thing. But yeah, the, the character is 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 uh, is a difficult one to to wrap your head around. I think, uh, and it's it it's interesting to consider what might have happened if they hadn't have if Vince hadn't have decided that he had invented the idea of Shawn Michaels as a babyface, um, and if he'd have carried on being positioned as the bad guy still, uh, but you know, by the time we're getting into sort of alternate history territory there, I suppose. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I always kind of thought, I always kind of thought that, um, like all of these things, eventually, because he was so good in the ring, the crowd would have come around to him quite naturally, like they did with Rollins, right? And 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 so you could have, you could have put him in that position. But you know, Vince's, I guess Vince's kind of heavy-handed uh, positioning of people that he favours. I mean, you've seen it with Diesel here, you know, over the last few pay-per-views that we've looked at. Um, there isn't that patience and that subtlety a lot of the time. And, and I guess the thing with Austin that's so beautiful is that when it does come around with Austin, it comes out of pretty much nowhere because he wasn't even meant to w- win the thing until about a week before because of the curtain call. Um, and then uh, once he does win it, it just builds organically. They don't rush it. They let Austin be Austin. They do the Bret Hart match. You know, they they call that off a little bit. They get into they get into the Rumble and Final Four. They do the second Bret Hart match, and they just keep Austin bubbling while essentially being the same character. They do the double turn at WrestleMania 13, and you know, you you basically by that point you're almost uh, you're almost a, well a full year since he won King of the Ring. Um, and he's still essentially a mid-carder at that point. Chasing the IC title, yeah. So, you know, it's like they do learn their lessons, it has to be said. And one of the things about both Michaels and Bret Hart is that a lot of the mistakes that were made with them as top guys, they didn't repeat with the Attitude top guys. They learn their lessons and then they forget them. Not quite, yeah. Um, and have to <laughs> learn them again. Because it's 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 fascinating, you know, as we as we break this stuff down, when you think about... Uh, how Roman Reigns uh, went as the top guy uh, and now how he's sort of been followed by Seth. There's a certain parallel there to the way that Diesel went as a top guy followed by Sean. And it's, it's really interesting the more you talk about it, how, uh, how that uh, sense of abstract seems to have repeated itself in recent years. It, yeah, it really has. Um, I think the lesson has always been that, uh, you take the people who are yeah, over with the crowd, you know, whether as heels or baby faces, and 
you know, and you let that play out over a period of time. And you've seen the the fruits of that relatively recently with CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. And you've seen where it's gone badly wrong with Roman Reigns particularly. Um, but, but you know, with some others too. Baron Corbin probably springs to mind uh, on, the, on the heel side of things. Um, yeah, so it, it's uh, always the case in pro wrestling, I think, that uh, where you kind of go with the flow and, and shape the storylines around the, the, the people that the crowd wants to see, you're going to get great results. Um, where you do something which is forced or is an obvious change of direction, that's where things go wrong because i mean i think i've always said that coming out of the shield reigns was enormously popular and people forget that hugely that, that yeah. you, you can absolutely pinpoint where it starts to go wrong well they had that episode of raw where he like drugs stephanie's milk or something and ends up inserting himself into that ladder match for the uh vacant world title and it's straight away that was it then because it was obvious that, you know, the Shield split up. He didn't give a crap about it. He'd selfishly got himself into this title match. And, you know, all the fans' interest went towards Ambrose and Rollins instead. Yes, no, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm fighting off a cold and I'm having a sneeze of it. Do you want to keep talking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I will, uh, I'll filibuster onwards. Um, but, yeah, going back to this match with, with Karma, um, they actually end it in a time limit draw. Uh, which is a very interesting booking decision, I think, because first of all, it's not something you 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 really saw like much past the nineteen eighties um, on on WWF TV, and secondly, given that they were kind of in the process of pushing Michaels, it seems a little bit odd that they didn't use this as a bit of a showcase for him. But then you remember that they intended for Karma to feud with the Undertaker, and they kind of needed to keep him relatively strong um as well and so michaels does get the last laugh he does he does super kick uh karma after the match but um but yeah obviously good stuff in the ring but it's a bit of a it's a curiosity i would say it's it's probably to make room for to be able to tell the story they wanted to tell with savio uh which you know if if sean's in the tournament past that first round yeah no I, people I can... are going to want want be wanting him to win it aren't they so uh, it is a curious thing that they didn't have him win it, but obviously they had other ideas with uh, with King Mabel. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's that's another another great new gen trait as well as being able to so to so um, effectively balance, you know, the various kind of plot threads that they're wanting to to follow through any one time. Um, it's not 50-50 booking. It's it's a sort of utility booking where you go, well, you know, we want to make sure we do this with this guy, but the main focus for tonight is this over here. So, you know, how do we balance that? And then coming up with an effective solution like a double count out for Sean uh, and Karma, which, of course, then facilitates, I think, I, I would presume, a buy for King Mabel if, if uh, traditional booking is anything to go by. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think as well, like, when you... Uh, you look at the tournament, um, it, it's quite creatively booked all the way through because they have Mabel go over The Undertaker, which again is facilitating the Karma Undertaker feud. Um, and again, they have The Undertaker get get his own back on Mabel uh, with a chokeslam. Um, 
but then you've got um i think you've yeah so because this time it draw as well it means that um when they have the brackets it means that mabel gets a buy through to the final um meaning he's well rested and savio's already had to go through three people in one night so the whole thing is really well constructed from that point of view and also which i mark out for mimics macho man's story at wrestlemania (laughs) 4 where he had to face the very fresh one-man gang who benefited from jake roberts and rick rude having a time limit draw um in that wrestlemania 4 tournament which so you know wrestlemania 4 references are always welcome with me yes i know um, and always unwelcome with me. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm only, I don't mean to rag on WrestleMania 4, but when I watched it, I did thought it, it just seemed to go on forever. But um, the, yeah, and, and of course. <laughs> it's the, half of WrestleMania by today's stuff. Well, this is very true. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Um, when, when I bought it, right, I remember buying it from Woolworths, right, when I was a kid. Uh, double VHS, like unheard of, the only, the only paper you could buy that was a double VHS. You know, imagine. Imagine it'd be like six VHSs. Exactly. One, one WrestleMania. Good lord. And remember, it, it, imagine getting to the very end and then having to rewind them all to the very beginning if you ever wanted to watch it again. Oh, I watched the hell out of Sorry. WrestleMania four when I was a kid. Like honestly. Um, the wonderful thing about the the final as well, and 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 what you've just said is, of course, it, there's an inbuilt. Uh, it's kind of cliche to say it, but it it protects quote-unquote Savio as well because of course uh, you know he comes out looking great because he's wrestled four matches in one night he's first pay-per-view he's got all the way to the final of the King of the Ring uh, but of course he's facing a fresh Mabel so of course he's going to lose and you totally can believe that and it doesn't do anybody any any harm uh, for them to, to operate in that way you know that doesn't need shenanigans or anything because the the inherent logic of how you get there is so watertight yeah Absolutely, absolutely, and um, when you you know when you look at that that final and the way that they sell it as like they're in Philadelphia and Philadelphia is the uh, the home of the underdog um, because of Rocky and they keep you know Vince keeps going on about Rocky all the way through this show because it's in <laughs> Philadelphia. Which is He'd like... obviously just seen the film for the first time, um, but it was it's kind of cool because you know they are painted Mabel as this sort of Cinderella underdog because he only got onto the show at the last minute and now he's he's gone away to the final. And they even go they even sell this whole thing where he's got a chance against Mabel because Mabel got choke slammed by the Undertaker and Doc Hendricks keeps saying, um, no one's ever dropped Mabel on his head before. He must his bell's still wrong. Look at him. Um so they, they, they do quite well with the psychology of the whole episode really. I mean, that's the same kind of tiny attention to detail that we talked about last week where Brett jumps out of the ring and, and pretends to tweak his leg in your house one. You know, just a a, a greater sense of, of of this universe not being aware of itself and and and, and operating, you know, it, and it sounds daft to say because it's, such, it's meant to be such an inherent principle of wrestling, but everything's so self-aware now that it's 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 actually refreshing to see something that acts as if it's real. And there's lots of stuff like that on this show, like Razor's uh, taped ribs um, is something that, that occurred earlier in the King of the Ring tournament. Like he, he loses to Jacob blue of all people. 
um, in a qualifier. And um, and so he has to be Savio Vega's manager. And so he's there in his street clothes. But obviously it being razor being razor, his street clothes are jeans. But then his ring, the, the sort of, you know, the ring jacket that he usually wears and no shirt. Um, so you can see the tape around his ribs and they make a point of, um, you know, of using that when Mabel uh, beats them down at the end of his uh, at the end of his win. And also in the main event, Diesel has got an elbow injury, which was supposedly caused by Sid in the build-up, um, which Sid sort of targets during the match. And uh, there's a great promo from Sid before they come out, which is one of those bizarre postmodern. I mean, I think not even postmodern's going far enough. Like you know, uh, Dardarist promos by Sid, where he um he keeps talking about how. He's going to smash the elbow into little pieces and dance on it and weird stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, if he had, if what's, what's the famous line from WCW that he said, if I had a brain that's half the size of yours or something, my brain's half the size of yours or something like that. Absolutely. Honestly, absolutely bizarre promo. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so Diesel's arm is like a big deal because it's like, can he get the jackknife up? Is the big question during that, during that tag match. Um, so yeah, that little attention to detail stuff is is really important to the show. Totally. Um, so yeah, we talked quite a lot about the tournament. So we should really talk about a couple of the other feature matches on this. So um, obviously Bret Hart's long, long running feud with Jerry Lawler uh, finally um, sort of comes to a close here. Well, I suppose I say comes to a close, although Lawler would then be taking shots on Bret. On commentary for the, like the next three years after this, but um, but but uh, the kiss my foot match, which is absolutely as I think you've said before, like um, all about that kind of pride and you know wanting to humiliate your opponent and you know the whole build up to it is played absolutely straight, like. You know, when they did a, a couple of years ago, they did a Kiss Me Arse match with Seamus and Tom Ziggler, if you recall. I do. And uh, it, it was kind of play for laughs. And the point here is that it was like, they, you know, Brett takes it so deadly seriously. Like, he humiliated me on Mother's Day. I dedicated that match to my mother. So now you're going to have to, you're going to have to kiss my foot and acknowledge that I'm better than you. Like, I just... It's so well done. It's so well done. And of course, Lawler is his usual camp self. But again, he, like it's just so much within the character of Lawler, this whole thing of him, about him not washing his foot for months and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, he, in fact, he's got Shinji and uh, and um, uh, Hakushi in the wings to help him. Uh, the whole thing is just really well put together. And the match isn't bad either, considering how limited no, Lawler match, was yeah. by this point. Absolutely. There's a. There, I think I mentioned this last week. There's a in the build-up to this on Raw. There's a fantastic sort of Austin McMahon-like confrontation between Brett and Jerry Lawler as as Lawler's doing commentary. Brett ramps the intensity up. His ninety-five is all about him getting increasingly aggressive, increasingly angry, increasingly uh, uh, vitriolic towards the people that he's wrestling to the point where when he does turn in ninety-seven, it actually feels utterly inevitable. Um, 
and that's a process that starts in '95. And, and this revisitation of the Lawler feud is a is a huge, huge uh, uh, piece of that jigsaw. Uh, and I said it last week, you know, it's about the story more than it is the match. Uh, what you said was bag to rights. It's about the psychological bent of humiliation uh, and um, the the petty cruelty of Jerry Lawler. And I think petty cruelty. Nakamura was uh, was pettily cruel uh, to to AJ Styles when he first turned. And I think there's a um, it, it's almost the worst kind of cruelty because it just it just feels so grubby and nasty uh, and and petty. Uh, and that's exactly how this comes off. Um, and it wouldn't not to correct you, Mav, but it wouldn't quite be the end of their uh, their their rivalry here because. Uh, oh, of course, the Yankum would, thing coming. Yeah, yeah, he would go and have to wrestle Jerry Lawler's dentist. Now, uh, we'll talk more about that when we get to SummerSlam, of course. But uh, people straight away, you know, Isaac Yankum DDS. Uh, people go dentist, cartoon character, typical new gen. That happens because of the fact that Jerry Lawler has to have you know, in universe, he has to go and have specialist dental treatment after he's forced to, I think Brett makes him kiss his own foot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, and uh, because his foot is so manky and gangrenous or whatever, he has to go and have specialist medical treatment and he decides that, uh, you know, that Isaac Yankum, the, the only wrestling dentist in the world, I would imagine, uh, who just so happens to be Jerry Lawler's dentist, uh, is going to be the guy who comes and punishes Brett on his uh, behalf. Uh, so, all right, it's kind of a corny storyline, but there's, a, there's still a sense of logic to it. There's still a sense of logical progression to it. There's still a sense of context to why... Isaac Yankum was a dentist. Why Brett was feuding with him? It wasn't totally random or, or plucked out of nowhere. So, um, but this is this is. Uh, I mean, I remember I didn't watch. I didn't get a chance to watch the pay per view before we've done the show. But I do remember the last time I watched it, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with uh, the Kiss My Foot match and, and remembered it being uh, better than it was. And it's a, it's a typical case in point again of what New Gen did so well. You know, it's not just a stipulation for the sake of a stipulation. You know, they haven't had three pay-per-view matches and they're having a fourth and now they need another stipulation there's a there's a, a purposeful psychology to why it's a kiss my foot match yeah absolutely um the action in the match is actually really is really quite good and i get it's a little bit ahead of its time because lawler uses the outside of the ring as a weapon quite a lot like he keeps throwing brett out the ring and throwing him into the barricades and the ring post and he tries to get him counted out because that'd still be a win. It's real heel, typical heel stuff. Um, it, it even it even sort of anticipates this finisher fest nonsense of today. You know, like he begins the match, almost begins the match. Uh, it's not very far in at all. He does three pile drivers on Brett right at the beginning, which huh. Brett then kicks out of. Yeah, <laughs> and the pile driver was Lawless finisher. Um, so like even then it's like it it feels like it's quite future facing as a as a match um but yeah like i think the thing about we'll talk about it more next week as you say but the isaac yankin match is really well remembered by everyone as being like a great bret hart match uh, and of course well remembered for being the guy who'd eventually be, be kane um and of course we all know that, that that glenn jacobs is a great hand whatever gimmick he happened to be wearing Perhaps um, not so much as Diesel 2. No, that's, that is true. Uh, <laughs> but, but still, like, yeah, 
he's a he's a it's Roman is a great match, but perhaps as you say, a a silly storyline. But you know, in universe, there's absolutely a reason for it. Like they even have a a thing where they cut to Lawler backstage, and he's basically eating toothpaste and pouring mouthwash all over himself to get the taste <laughs> out of his mouth. Um, and, and sort of Vince is trying to interview him and, and Lawler's not even like answering the questions he's just eating toothpaste well <clears throat> at least it stops him talking uh, well quite um, and then of course uh, the main event uh, we had uh, well set up in the previous um, pay-per-view uh, Bam Bam Bigelow who of course had an axe to grind with the Million Dollar Corporation having been booted out of there for failing to defeat uh, Lawrence Taylor and Diesel, um, who obviously was saved by Bam Bam from the beatdown uh, by Sid and Tatonka. So it's really uh, well set up tag match. And it, it's actually really good, this match, I think. There's long periods of face in peril stuff for both Diesel and Bam Bam. But there's also lots of really good action in it, too. It's four of the, you know, of the better. I mean, I'm not sure if you call Tatonka a big man necessarily, but certainly three of the better big men of the era um facing off against each other and it's yeah it's well done the thing i i enjoy about it there's two things i enjoy about it um a lot the, the first well three i suppose uh the first uh, perhaps most minor is that you've got a pay-per-view main event involving a world champion that isn't for a world title i've never really bought into this notion that every pay-per-view has to be main evented by the world champion defending the title have him he should be on every pay-per-view doesn't necessarily always have to be a title match if there's a storyline that calls for a little reprieve, and this is is one such case. Um, I also uh, like the the fact, as I do with all new gen stuff, that the storyline context is all there, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, you've got the the million dollar corporations, two best hitters in Sid and Tonka, looking to off uh, these these two guys who have had quite separate issues with the million dollar corporation but in the best shared universe fashion have ended up rubbing shot bumping into one another and, and, and uh, uh, their paths crossing as a result. And so you get this nice crossover match as, as, as a result of that. Um, I also think it has a really great big fight feel to it by the time you get to it. If you've watched the whole show, um, I remember, again, the last time I did watch it, watching uh, Sid and Tatanka come out and feeling like this feels like a main event. This feels, because of the way that they present it, uh, you know, and it doesn't need... What was great about the way that New Gen would present big match situations like this is that it wouldn't have, you know, a, a five-minute... I mean, I do tend to like their video packages, but it wouldn't have a five-minute epic video package before it, followed by two entrances that take 50 minutes in their own right, followed by in-ring introductions that take another five minutes, followed by, you know, more pomp and circumstance. It just... It presented them as as the commentary presented it as a big situation. There was always a great atmosphere in the buildings because they were in relatively small arenas. So there was a sense of intimacy that, that, that still feels palpable when you watch it. Um, intangibles, man, it just, just, uh, you know, that sense of storyline context, it feels like an event with a capital E. And so even though on paper, it doesn't impress, I think when you, when you, uh, or won't impress some, when you do watch it, it's hard I find not to feel excited because of the way that it's just in, in very simple terms, uh, but very focused and on point terms presented as this is, uh, you know, this is a big deal. This is a main event. Uh, and, and there's a, 
uh, it's almost as if the lack of pomp and circumstance makes it feel more naturally like a big event uh, match. Um, and in the context of the time, it is. You know, Sid is the the top villain in the company at this point. Diesel is the, obviously the champion. Bam Bam Bigelow is a, is a veteran, but also one of the most prominent. I mean, he headlined WrestleMania that year. So you got WrestleMania headliner, world champion, top bad guy. And Tatanka, you know, all right, he's sort of steady mid-card hand at this point, but, uh, you know, very familiar with, with wrestling fans has been embroiled in a very long-running feud with Lex Luger, who had previously been the top hero in the company for a year. So, I mean, it is a big deal for the, for the time in context of the roster. It's it's four major names clashing in a tag team match. Absolutely, and I always love it when they do that. Um, they do it a lot in Attitude as well, actually. Um, they'll have these matches where it'll be, it'll be like, I don't know, like, uh, like say, Rock and Jericho v. Benoit and Shane or something, or, you know, they'll do a lot of those sorts of matches where... Um, the storyline dictates that you have like either on a raw or sometimes even on, even on a pay-per-view, they'll have like a tag match um, as a, as a real, as a real big deal. And, and, you know, I've always enjoyed those sorts of things. Um, in fact, I really enjoyed the Rollins and Becky Lynch against Corbin and yeah. uh, Lacey Evans match. I thought that was fantastic to be honest. Um, because again, it was like two world champions against the two people that wanted to be world champions. Um, I thought it worked really well. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do really enjoy this sort of idea of putting your top guys against each other in a tag match to close out the show, and then of course you get Diesel v Sid again anyway. Um, before they, uh... which happens again, not just because we need a rematch. It happens again because they have this contact here at King of the Ring. The storyline has progressed, but it's progressed in a fluid manner. It's involved some other people that's brought closure to some other plot threads. I mean, this is, you know, it's it's what we always bang on about a shared universe. This is it in practice. This is, if you want to see it, watch this kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would agree. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not John Cena versus Randy Orton 17 times over with a different stipulation every month. No, quite. It's like you get you get the sort of natural progression of their of their enmity, if you like. I mean, I also like the way in which they sort of, with Diesel's reign, you know, it it begins with uh, Bret Hart as his first challenger, and it and it ends with Bret Hart as his last challenger. It's a great symmetry to that, you know. It it's sort of you know the mid sort of the early to midpoint. Michaels is his enemy, and then for the rest of it, Michaels is his friend, and they're the dudes with attitude and so on. Um, so yeah, there's there's this there's this great sense of um, story that surrounds the whole diesel title reign even if some of the matches aren't perhaps what we'd see elsewhere in the era um, i mean we, we i mean we'd see this uh shared universe method of leading from one pay-per-view to another we'd see another tag team main event on pay-per-view with diesel uh, on the other side of SummerSlam with triple header uh, where him and Sean put the titles on the line against, uh, it's meant to be Owen and Yoko and Bulldog substitutes Owen, and then that subs into Diesel versus Bulldog ahead of uh, the match with Brett at, at Survivor Series. So it's, it, there's always that constant sense of motion. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's always that sense of them um, booking logically and sensibly, you know, and building on things. And, uh, and th- I mean, that's why we like the air, isn't it? <laughs> 
Indeed. Uh, so next week we will be uh, looking at the next um, in your house pay per view. Um, in your house two, of course, subtitled the Lumberjacks. Um, I think they actually put that label on it retrospectively when they brought the video out. I don't think they promoted it under that name, if I if I remember correctly. Anyway, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but uh, nevertheless, that's what we're going to be having a look at. Um, of course, made events by Diesel and Sid in the aforementioned Lumberjack match. Um, so that's what we'll be looking at next week. And as as Pan said, we've also got Michaels v Jarrett to look forward to, which is tremendous. So if you're watching along, that's your uh, homework for this week is to go and watch In Your House 2. And uh, we will be here to talk about it next Friday. In the meantime, listen to the rest of LAP radio shows. Uh, we're available on Spreaker, of course, on the main LOP site, and indeed on YouTube, thanks to the efforts of our YouTube wizard, Imp. Um, so, until next week, from the right side of the ponds, we'll see you later. Bye!